0: Some topics in this podcast series deal with sensitive subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. The National Principles for Child Safe Organisations reflect 10 child safe standards recommended by the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. These principles aim to provide Australia with a nationally consistent approach to creating organisational cultures that foster child safety and well-being. They have a broader scope that goes beyond child sexual abuse to cover other forms of potential harm to children and young people. This podcast series, brought to you by ComplySpace and Brave Hearts, unpacks each of the 10 principles, their implications and ways to apply them. In this episode, we explore principle one. Child safety and well-being is embedded in the organisational leadership, governance and culture.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Deborah Dathena, Principal Consultant in Child Protection at ComplySpace.
2: And I'm Matt Sinclair, the National Child Protection Training Manager at Bravehearts.
1: You're listening to our series of podcasts about the National Principles for Child Safe Organisations. Today we're talking about Principle 1, which is about committed leadership, governance and culture. And our guest today is James Field, CEO of ComplySpace. Welcome James.
3: Yeah, well, Great to be here, thanks.
1: So James, do you want to start just by giving us a little bit of background about yourself and your experience?
3: Sure, sure. Look, from uh, my, my current role as obviously CEO and um, co-founder of uh, ComplySpace, we work with a whole range of clients across a range of industries and um, you know our focus is on really developing governance, risk, compliance, policy management type frameworks. Uh, that are all designed ultimately to, you know, deliver cultural outcomes, which is the key when it comes to, uh, you know, the child safe area. So uh, my background's in law, um, like one of those, you know, many many lawyers out there. Spent a lot of time trying not to be a lawyer. I've sort of nearly successfully done that, but you'll see that ComplySpace is, uh, you know, has a very heavy legal background if you like, because we deal with so many areas of compliance. And we were the, I suppose, part of our focus was to try and level the playing field for organisations that had less resources and the complexity of the law that they have to comply with is um, you know very difficult these days so Mm -hmm. that's why I think part of you know coming into the into this area has been fantastic so how do we end up in this area that's Mm -hmm. probably the key Um, we've got about uh, 600 plus schools that we work with and some not-for-profit organisations around Australia so uh, the good thing about that is or the bad thing from a Uh, child protection perspective as we cross every single jurisdiction in Australia and boy oh boy do you then get to learn of the complexity of child protection law. So um, yeah so that we've been doing that work for you know five or six years now working with schools and um, probably since the Victorian laws new Victorian child safe um, principles came in that was the real impetus for change from my perspective in the industry.
0: Mm.
1: So the Victorian... uh Child Safe Standards are very similar to the national principles, and now the national principles have been endorsed by COAG, so every Australian jurisdiction has endorsed those, which means they're sort of coming into play in every Australian jurisdiction. And principle one of of those principles is about committed leadership, governance and culture. Funnily enough, we were talking to um, ex-Royal Commissioner Bob Atkinson um, earlier, and he said during um, his interview that this principle was the most important principle.
2: Yes, everything hangs from this. That's right.
1: So everything hangs off this one. So why don't we start by talking a little bit about leadership and about um, leaders playing a critical role in creating and maintaining an institutional culture where children's best interests, respect for their rights and their protection from harm are at the heart of an organisation's operation and the responsibility of all staff. So, I guess, firstly, do you want to talk a little bit about what qualities um, a, a good leader demonstrates in sort of this child safe space?
3: Um, whether it's child safe or not, um, I think it comes down to honesty and integrity. It's like the fail safe. If you, if you haven't got that, the rest falls away, doesn't it? Um, so, you know, to my mind, that that's sort of the core, core feature, um, but then, you know, every organisation is going to be different because they're all going to have different values, they're going to have different ways of looking at, they're going to have different le- leadership styles. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time internally um, at ComplySpace looking at these types of issues as well. And, you know, part of it is defining a set of values and the vision that you have. And ultimately, you know, I suppose uh, the ultimate test of leadership is do your staff actually understand what your vision and your values are as an organisation. So, you know, examples of some of the things that we have are courage to make the tough decisions, you know, that's that's a, a really key one. And it's hard, you know, sometimes it might be, you know, which opportunity do you take, sometimes it might be performance managing, counselling staff, you know, even terminating stuff, they're all very, you know, hard things that you have to do. Um, ownership is a really big one for me um What I mean by that is you know when something 's on your desk um that you take ownership of that it 's not like Fiddle it around and flip it off to somebody else. Um, that makes a huge amount of difference in an organisation where everyone's taking real is truly accountable for their own role. Um, the other sort of, I mean, every every set of values you ever see has manner and respect, which is absolutely critical because again, we have um, the diversity of the workforce that we we work with. Just you know, dictates that we have to have that. Um, I've got a real passion about bringing positive energy into the into the workplace or. You know in whatever environment that you have and um, it's one thing from a, a, a really good leader you they you, you won't see you know they might have had a bad day but they'll stop still come into the office with positive energy and you know that's the way that they operate so that's big for mm-hmm. them look the other two two key values that we have are, um, around learning um, you never stop learning and I think we all realize the older we get the, the more we know that we don't know and um, uh, especially in this space, if you see how much this has changed, it's like this never-ending, um, you know, we were just talking actually before the podcast about, you know, yet another set of guidelines or, um, you know, something comes from a government about, you know, the, the types of things you need to know. So you always need to keep on top of that. And um, the last one we have is just around innovation. But um, And I thought, oh, well, that's very compliance based centric type, um, uh, you know, value, but... Then I thought about it, and it's not really, is it? Because uh, certainly, you know, in the child services sp- space, education, if you ever want to see innovation going on, it's in that space. They yeah. always say it's ripe for digital disruption. But, um, you know, there's, there's not an industry out there that isn't in just where they're sitting in, here, you know, today is going to be completely different in 10 years' time. So, you know, I think those, those values sort of stand the test of time, and I think they're good values for leaders to follow.
1: Yeah. And what about, so if we can take some of those and and ask the question about how can leaders demonstrate that they prioritise child safety in in, in those sorts of areas? What are the sorts of things leaders can do to demonstrate that?
3: Yeah, um, look, I think from my perspective, before you started going out and doing the leading, if you like, um, leaders you know, the, the core responsibility of leaders is to make sure that they have a governance infrastructure in place in their organisation that is sustainable, that allows them to actually um, do the things that they have to do. In that, through this series, you will have talked about the complexity of the standards and the law and all those things. I mean, it's not something you just wake up one day and start doing. You've got to have a, a platform that allows you to do that. So I always look at, um, you know, it doesn't really matter how strong the leadership is. If you don't have the governance platform, it's very it's n- you're never actually going to get those behavioral outcomes and cultural outcomes that you need. Mm-hmm. So I always look at governance, if you like, in two um, two parts, or you know, the infrastructure required. One is the infrastructure that just is to deliver information. So you know that policy information that you have, you've got to get it out, you've got to communicate it. How are you doing that? There might be a million different ways to do that, depending mm-hmm. on the size, nature, and complexity of the organization, it may be okay to have a paper-based policy, but suddenly if you're a multi-jurisdictional organization, it's certainly not. You know, you have to look at other ways of doing it. Um, And if you have a policy, there's no use in doing that unless you're actually training it and, you you know, you've got a learning, some sort of learning system to get that out. And, uh, you know, the third part of that is all the data being captured. So, you know, uh, if you look at areas like, you know, risk management, compliance, incident management, complaints management... You know, all of that is just about data and managing mm-hmm. the data. So, I suppose the first part is just having this infrastructure that allows you to manage, and the second part of that equation is actually having the content, right? Mm-hmm. So the content, um, and look at this, and we all know the the um, child safe content around Australia, how complex that is. And Deb, you certainly mm-hmm. had that um, <laughs> that privilege of going through all the different That's jurisdictions. Right. And, uh, you know, it's quite mind-blowing, isn't it, the, the level of complexity that you have to deal with. So, you know, a lot of uh, child services organisations are quite small. They don't have that that resource. But, you know, they might get their child safe policies right, but, you know, you still have to have the human resources policies. You have to have the risk framework and all those sorts of things. So that's the sort of starting point for me from a leadership perspective is that you've got, a system, you've got a structure that allows you to do the things that you want to do. Um, if you come down to more specific examples, mm-hmm. you know, you take your human resources area, um, once you've got that platform in place, you can really start to focus on what is meaningful then and that's mm-hmm. where the real strategic stuff comes in. So uh, by way of example, human resources is probably, you know, a great example is, you know, the recruitment mm-hmm. aspect and if you're looking at that, um, you know, we, we know that you have to have robust recruitment procedures um, that working with children checks or blue card these mm-hmm. days just aren't aren't enough and then the question is, how far do you push that as a leader? And, you know, ultimately the people that you get on board are your organisation and are your culture. So to my mind, that's a really critical area. Um, things like excursion management, if I was dealing with kids, that's one of the areas where I'd be saying, you know, that's actually a practical area of high risk within, within the child safe um, environment, isn't it? Um, and we all know about that. But if I was, if I was sitting on a board... I'd be looking and saying, well, what are we actually doing in those circumstances? Because you know, if you do the risk assessment, it's quite a natural outcome mm. to look at that. Mm. Yeah. I think also that
2: behaviourally, as a leader, with a presence on campus or at any of the schools, how can you, um, you know, bring in, in, in what behaviours you promote, what mm. behaviours you reward versus mm. what behaviours you look down on? and how he would keep the conversations flowing,
3: and it's really walking the talk, isn't it? You
2: know,
1: and yeah.
3: uh, we, I mean, the Royal Commission was, you know, littered with stories um, mm. where we were doing one thing and saying another. So,
1: that's right. You talked a little bit there about governance and about boards. So, boards of directors are an important part of many organisations' governance structure. Um, how can a, the board of a school positively influence the culture of child safety at their school?
3: Yeah, um, look. I look at board, um, if I look at governance in an organisation, I see it through three sets of eyes, if you like. I see it through the the board governance itself, Mm -hmm. then what what I call the organisational governance and then there's also regulatory governance. So, you know, you, you come back and say, well... What is? Let's answer the question first. What is governance yeah. to start with? I think that's yeah. you know before you even start going down that track, and um, you know it, may, it it means so many different things to different people. I mean, if you actually look at the definition, it's you know the act of, act of governing, mm-hmm. which is pretty broad, <laughs> isn't it? Right, um, which means our politicians are you know mm. is it's governance. But I was I was. Uh, You know, never found a definition I I really was comfortable with. And one day I looked up on Wikipedia and and it sort of was there and it went after that. And I know academically you're not allowed to quote Wikipedia, but I've always sort of stuck with me and I'll just share that with you, which is the policies, procedures, practices, principles and values that guide... uh, I'll I'll say child services Mm -hmm. organization and its activities every day at all levels of the organization in a manner that provides accountability and I'll just Mm. strip strip that back slightly Mm -hmm. and go through it because I think it's important so what's policy the first part of that was policies and procedures so that's the documentation and obviously that's one of the principles you know you have to have that Um, then the practices what does that mean you know so that's are they accessible? Are we training our staff? Are we monitoring? Are we reporting? That's all the practices. And then you've got principles and values, and to me, that's just culture, right? Mm. What You know, what are we doing? We've then got guide a school or mm. guide a, an organisation, okay. and that's leadership. Um, every day at all levels is all about this has to be um, dynamic and responsive to change. You can't just sit and forget this stuff. Honestly, it's, mm. you know... Three seconds later, it's all changed. And the last part of that is accountability. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, good governance just requires accountability and it's uh, it's not only what you are doing, it's what you're not doing. And we all know that what you're not doing was as important as what you were actually doing in, in this area, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my sort of little, little sort of uh, um, definition of governance and then how do you translate that into a... Uh, you know what uh, for the board or the or the or the executive or or the regulatory Mm -hmm. side so from a board perspective you know it's all about from my the key role of the board is oversight of the executive and the operations of an organization and the other part key part is about strategic planning they're the they're the Mm -hmm. really key things and then if you go into the executive the executive job is to implement the strategic direction, but then they've got the hard job. It's the nuts and bolts of pulling all of this together. It's having the child-safe policies. It's it's They're the ones developing the culture. Let's face it, the mm-hmm. board comes and has meetings every now and again and compare it functions and they can walk, walk through the organisation. They can do all of those things, but they are not... Ultimate. They, they're setting an expectation for culture, but they're not generally driving driving it on a day-to-day basis so really it's that's at the heart of the executive and the the other part which i always think is you know that critical part as i mentioned is we've got this whirlwind of changing legislation out there at the moment you know we've watched it from the royal commission or well started really in victoria and then south australia and it's just been sweeping through hasn't it and um and i've been saying this for years this This is going to keep on going. It's not going to change. So if you look at, um, you know, around Australia, you know, from my perspective, because I did a lot of work in Victoria, I'd say, you know, that's a very robust system, right? And then I'd look over to New South Wales and say, you know, it's probably the, you know, it hasn't moved as much as any other state. And I'd look at that and say, well, what's the role of the board? So if you're on the role of the board, you should be able to see that. You should be able to see strategically that New South Wales is just going to be hit with... A fair amount of change in the child protection space, and they're going to be hit hard. So mm-hmm. it's to understand the risk, it's to understand what the coming compliance obligations, and then somehow feed that back down to your executive so they they are resourced to be able to do that. Right. Mm. Yeah, I was getting a board management lesson here. <laughs> 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 um,
2: the public commitment to child safety is is a, it's a bit of a favourite, but also a bugbear of mine, and and when, what 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 do you see as the role and function and and the value of having a public commitment to child safety, um, and and how does that actually
3: keep kids safe in an institution? So so when you say public commitment, you mean it's a public statement on yeah. your on your yeah. website or something like that. Yeah, yeah. In- interesting. Yeah. So from my perspective. Um, you could either ask that, answer that as a, as a positive or a negative. Like from a negative, just having a policy on, the, on your website um, is not going to change anything, is it? Um, and uh, the, the best example of that is in the privacy space where everyone has a privacy policy and how well are they actually managing the information under the hood? Not very well. So I often, often refer to that as the tip of the iceberg. What it may indicate, though, is if, no, if, if an organisation has nothing on their website, then that, that's concerning so if i if i was uh you know had my child you know a bit under the care of an institution to use that word mm. and I went on there and there's not a word about it I in this day and age i'd be i'd have a concern yes. right, but just because they do have things doesn't mean that it's all rosy under the yeah, it wants to be scratched we scratch
2: surface. Yeah. Yes. yeah so
3: if you go under the surface and then look obviously the way the child protection uh, or child safe principles um work is that um you know, I think it's principle three, isn't it, which is about community and yeah, community, family. family and involvement, yeah, that's right. So, key. Like, if you don't have anything on your public website and you don't have anything publicly facing, how do you even start to meet that principle? So that that it becomes absolutely key to have a public persona to your um, child safe uh, program, if you like, because mm-hmm. you have to engage with the community and you have to engage with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. So somehow you've got to make that quite quite simple um, as to how you actually present that is the key. It's the same with the
1: Code of Conduct, isn't it? Because Codes of Conduct, again, are meant to be made publicly available um, and, it's, again, it's, it's to enable students and staff and parents and the community know what is expected of your staff's behaviour so that they can bring that to your attention because if they don't know, how can they tell you? Yeah,
3: look, you know. Codes, codes of conduct are really really important. Let's mm. face it. Um, you know the the question is you know a twenty five page code of conduct uh, doesn't do the doesn't do anyone any favors. So you know and 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 again just a you know we've all seen codes of conduct on walls that no everyone just completely ignores. So that's why the my my response before about the governance infrastructure anyone can come up with a nice code of conduct. You can go and get a consultant to write one. Put it on the wall, and it's not going to make the slightest bit of difference. So it's really a matter of uh, you know making sure that whatever you are publishing, as far as those behavioural expectations, that you have a, a, a plan to make sure that that is communicated properly. That you're monitoring the outcomes. You know, it may go all the way through a complaint system to you know people say, well, actually that person was doing X. And the other thing I just mentioned on codes of conduct is make them brief, right? Mm-hmm. I, I actually like the the, the do and the do, don't, you know, mm-hmm. do do this and don't do that and mm-hmm. make it pretty simple because, you know, quite frankly, the capacity, um, every, everyone's very busy in this world and people's capacity to take that information in is limited. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how smart they are. So if you're going to want to get a message across, it's a little bit like a checklist. Just make sure you've got the key things. No, yes. Don't try and write
2: war and peace into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that is far more accessible to children and young people a twenty-five page document. Yes, right. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well,
3: you don't see too many of those. No, thank no. you. <laughs> um,
2: so, one of the core components of the principle of this particular principle is that organisations have a risk management strategy, and that focuses on prevention, um, identifying early, and mitigating risks to children and people. Um, can you tell us a little bit about risk management and how child safety can be
3: included in that for a school? Yeah, it's. Um the million-dollar question, and probably really, really, you know, it's a complex area of risk management. what what I'll start by saying is that risk management is is probably one of the most misunderstood areas because we all talk about risk all the time. I mean, I was even when I was coming. Uh, into work i heard someone talking about you know they were managing the risk of such and such in their early date they were literally using the word in common parlance right Mm. so you know if i'm on the board i'm thinking enterprise risk so i'm thinking iso thirty one thousand, the international risk standard i've got to have risk framework across my you know that's what a board member would be thinking Um, from a teacher's perspective um the likelihood is when they talk risk management, they're often talking about excursions because that's where they physically have to do the risk assessment, right? Um, and, you know, if I was talking to a workplace health and safety pers- person, for example, they're thinking about the risk of safety too. So I suppose the point I'm making is it means a hell of a lot of different things to different different mm-hmm. people, right? Um, so what does it mean in the child safe uh, space? Um Look, if I look around all the different systems and all the different communications, it's really vague as to what um, organisation or, you know, regulators are requiring Mm -hmm. you to do. It just says risk management. So that could be anything, quite frankly. So I went, you know, thought back and thought about the Victorian uh, child safe principles and Principle six, I think, of those principles is actually that a school, uh, sorry, an organisation needs risk management strategies. And uh, there were five requirements that were specified in that, which were um, developing risk management strategies, identifying and mitigating risks in all school school environments and in all activities. That was really important because it was actually a defined term that went beyond, you know, in the school. It was outside plus online environments it gets really quite complex right and then record keeping you know you had some sort of register of identified risks and so on and so forth and then you you know had to monitor and evaluate each control that you had this is actually what was written into the into the in in, in victoria and then you know training for all staff and you look at that and go well that's like a lot of words what am i supposed to be doing on this and um VRQA at the time, this is about three or four years ago, published a really detailed information sheet, which then explained what they thought it was. And that was an incredibly interesting read for me because I have an enterprise risk management background. I've done everything from ports to, you know, you name it, I've done it. And I thought, okay, well, schools don't really... Enterprise risk management isn't at the core of their being. But it was sort of expected that they did know this stuff. So it was really interesting. So... um, at the time, our clients were really quite confused as to what they were supposed to do based on this document that came out. And we actually wrote a uh, a white paper that was um, basically an interpretation of the VRQA's interpretation that went on. And even that is quite a long white paper. But for anyone that's really interested in this subject, I'd, I'd sort of you know point you to this uh, website, which is schoolgovernance.net.au, I think it is. Um, And in there on the resources page under child protection, there is actually this this white paper's there. And if you go in there and look at it, um, it explains sort of the detail of what you do. If I take it down into nuts and bolts, um, and probably the best way is most people are are familiar with workplace health and safety, right? We're all are. So think of child safe... Now, in the same way you would think about workplace health and safety, that means you have to have some sort of workplace health and safety program. Well, now you have to have a child safe program. That means the child safe program needs to describe, you know, who's doing what, how, all the definitions before you even start to identify a risk. Right. And then at the heart, if you look at uh, safety again, what you've actually got is um, hazard control. You, you go and identify risks that occur and you're supposed to mon- monitor those risks and put in controls in place, right? So you do the same thing with, um, with, with ChildSafe. Mm. And that really is interesting because... Um, and I, I, I did go and dig this paper out just because of reference because I, I, I couldn't remember myself. These are just examples of where risks can occur in mm. any organisation um, mm. and and schools in particular, but staff, no-brainer, no mm. right? Contractors, mm. suddenly major issue. Mm. Volunteers, mm. suddenly major issue again because you've got all sorts of different types of volunteers. You've got um, the general physical environment because we know from the uh, Royal Commission mm. uh, studies uh, or, or case, cases that... Um, you know, there was a lot of a lot of issue about the environment where people could actually hide in, in you probably know more more than me <laughs> then. Particularly That's right. the boarding school and things yeah. like that.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. 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 But so, you know, this list I'm just looking it's like twenty twenty things from mm-hmm. you know, recreational playgrounds, sporting facilities, you know, going on excursions, online environments mm-hmm. where you actually got, you know, predatory behaviour, um, as I think I said boarding. It just keeps on going. So my, my point is, every every child uh, services organisation is going to be different, and what the risk management is uh, strategy required will will overview what you are doing. So if you're if you've got a boarding house, for example, you've got a very diff- different risk pro- profile. If you haven't, uh, if you've got overseas students, you've got a different risk profile. They're young. Young people that are there with no support again. So, you've got to go through what risk is really, risk management strategies are saying is you've got to know your own business and you've got to really think in depth as the potential risks for children within there. And you've got to, the magic hard bit is you've got to put that into some sort of system (laughs) that allows you to get that data. Assess risks individually and then manage that through the process. I hope that's mm. not too conflated. No, <laughs> no. that's, that's absolutely right, and I,
2: I, I completely agree. So schools, particularly big independent schools, um, you know, offer so many services to their students and different opportunities. And you know, let's go to Cambodia and work in the orphanages and, and that kind of thing, and have a large cadet program, and mm. but don't necessarily have the maturity around recognizing and mitigating risks to do so safely mm. we've had that conversation many times throughout mm. the series mm. is actually how do you bring that to the forefront and, mm. and how do you simplify conversations around risk and in inverted commas mm.
3: yeah and it goes right back to the beginning of this podcast which was to say you need a governance infrastructure mm. that enables you to do it mm. because if you don't you end up with an Excel spreadsheet with a couple of risks on it, and mm, yes. and it's a waste of everyone's mm. time. It's yeah. on
1: a shelf. Yeah. And one of the other things you spoke about was this sort of journey of policy to culture. So you know, having the training. So, what does that mean? So, going from policy to culture, how do you develop that child safe cu- culture from your policies?
3: Yeah. Okay. So, you know, first of all, the policies have got to be. They've got to be accessible. Um, and I was just about, it was just about to say they've got to be plain English. And then I thought actually the complexity of the law here yes. makes your policies actually quite complex, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, co- clients often say, oh, this is so, this is really complex. And I'm like, w- we didn't write the law. Like yes. the law is actually requiring this mm-hmm. to be quite complex. Uh, so, so... And I often say this: people don't come in to work every day and read their policies. I mean, the last time you read mm-hmm. your policies when you came to work would be, <laughs> uh, you know, induction. Yeah, induction, <laughs> pretty much. Okay. So the policies have a have a, a a guiding role at the back, and quite often for reference, but they've got to be accessible. So that's number one. But you got you got to keep them up to date. But because no one really reads their policies on a regular basis, you've got to use training and you've got to use learning to get those. And, and you're really training the high-risk stuff. And this is actually an interesting topic mm. on its own because uh, learning, is learning is learning question mark because most people say, oh, we've done our annual um, child protection training. Mm. Everyone's done an hour, off we go, right? And I always say, well, that's not going to change culture. <laughs> so in order to change culture you need to, you know, have it reiterated and reiterated and reiterated over time. So you expect to, you know, over a period of year, you've got constant messaging about child protection. So I know some of our clients have put together what they'll call child-safe awards. So they've built them and they start might start with the induction, but then it introduces them to other issues. So they're listening to it regularly and thinking about it, which is what it that's how you sort of get it up to over the over the course of a year saying. So. Yeah. And that's how you you get the understanding and awareness up there. Mm-hmm. And the last part of the cultural part is uh, sorry, the policy to culture journey is actually monitoring whether and whether whether it all works. And you're monitoring that through risk assessments. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of complaints management because I see complaints management as a risk radar. Mm-hmm. Um whistleblower systems uh, you know for those that don't know there's new laws in Australia that came in on the first of July on whistleblower systems but it's a great you know a whistleblower system is a great system to have in place because actually what that allows is um, a person that's not confident to report internally to go externally and then that information gets to you so as an organisation specifically in this area you know that's another area where I'd look and say well you know, that's the sort of thing that, that I put into. That. So basically, you've got the policy, you've got the learning, you've got the the, the assurance, if you like, and then you've got well, the reporting. And the reporting mm-hmm. is is key because you've got to have some transparency. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. the trends and
2: themes that are coming through all of that data from so many different points. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess finally, um, a lot of this principle is the key actions and their indicators are talking about. Leaders, they seem to be aimed at leadership and and, and at, at boards. Why should staff and volunteers care about this principle? Why should they care about governance, leadership, and and culture?
3: Well, in a way, they. I think I won't. I won't say the word. They. They shouldn't care, mm. right? But they shouldn't really know, <laughs> mm. because um, if you're doing all these things properly, it's just what you do on a daily basis. So. If it's culturally, you know, if you're in a child safe organisation that it's okay to pick up the phone and speak to somebody or make a complaint or, you know, you feel confident to make that call through, right, Mm. you've succeeded. Mm. So the person who's making that call doesn't need to know about principle one, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that does not occur unless the leadership have put principle one into place and, mm-hmm. and I think we said right at the outset of this um, without it none of the other principles work they just mm-hmm. fall apart mm-hmm. because uh, so this is the absolute um, you know the the the, the framework or the, the, the platform of which everything else is about based. that's right yeah. let's say the tone from the top tone from the top absolutely yeah.
2: I think that pretty
3: much does that
2: cover Is there anything else that you wanted to add to that? I think we could talk about it all day long. We might do a secondary <laughs> episode yeah, on leadership and governance. Mm,
1: mm. Yeah.
3: No, no, no. I think that sort of covers the main areas. Great. Uh,
1: great. Well, thank you very much, James. It was wonderful to have your expertise on this. And I think, uh, yeah. as in many of our podcasts, uh, Matt and I have learned a lot. Yes. It's been great. Right. Yeah. Thank
3: you. Okay, thanks. Thanks.